Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Before we get started in this episode, I wanted to share a resource with you that I wish I knew about a long time ago, one that makes it easy to start a side business to generate more income so you stress less about your money, you're able to pay your student loans without worry, and you're able to afford those online shopping sprees. I see you. No judgment here. I am with you. And what's so great is that as social workers, we have so many powerful skill sets that other people want and need to learn from us. This is such an impactful way to continue making massive change in the world without spending a lot of extra time on this. So I personally use Kajabi to create my online course and I absolutely love it. And right now they're giving away free trials. So click the link in the show notes to get started on your side biz now. And with that, let's get into this episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. I am so glad you are back. This week, we're going to be talking with Regina about her experience as an international social worker. So I was super excited to get comfy with her and just talk about what it was like going from Los Angeles over to Austria, where they speak primarily German. And she has no German experience and did not even know the language when she first got over there. So we talked about what that transition was like, what she wished she would have known, and she gives us tips on what we need to consider and research before we even start making a move to another country to practice social work and to try to save the world. Because if you go over there blind, it's just not going to work out very well and it's going to be very, very difficult. So there are a lot of things that you need to know before you um, are going to become an international social worker. Um, It was also interesting to hear her talk about the primary therapy modality that they use in Austria, which is going to be the Freudian theory and her experiences working in a psychiatric hospital with other therapists who primarily come from a Freudian background. So that was super duper interesting and I'm excited for you to learn more about. And also too, I had to ask her about what she does for her self-care to manage her stress levels working in these extremely stressful and trying jobs that she has. So With that said, let's get right into it. Hi, Regina. How are you? Good. How are you? 
I'm doing good. I'm so excited to talk to you on the Social Workers Rise podcast. So thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm so glad we found the time to do this. It's glad it worked out. (laughs) Yes, yes, definitely. What brought you to the field of social work to begin with? Yeah, so I think everyone has that social work story. Why, you know, why social work? And for me, I graduated from school and had something completely different planned. I had wanted to go to law school, but something just didn't feel right. And so I decided after I graduated to take a month off and I saw an advertisement for a fellowship program in mental health. Um, through Mental Health America Los Angeles. I think they still have it and offer it now. It's called Jumpstart. And um, so I decided to sign up and I was accepted. And they were basically teaching about mental health for entry-level positions, but from recovery perspectives. And you had the opportunity then to do an internship and then also learn in class, you know, about the recovery model and empowerment and all of these really wonderful things. And it just, it was basically love at first practice. I just, it felt so right. And I identified it, I identified with it so much more than, you know, I had with my other classes in political science and all the things I had studied before. And um, I just thought, I I have to do this. I, I love this. And so that's how I got started. I was fortunate after that to get a job in the mental health field, working um, in a long-term care facility for people with severe persistent mental illnesses. And, um, I saw so many wonderful social workers in action and I was in a bachelor's level position at that time because I did have my bachelor's degree. Um, and I just thought I have to get my master's and I have to be a social worker. I just, I was, I was in love with it. And so I've been in the field of mental health. It's been over almost 10 years now. And, um, I I'm still in the field of mental health. I still love it. And I still believe in those first recovery, you know, principles that I first learned. So Wow, that's amazing. I love that. Do you feel like, like your work as a mental health, uh, I don't know what you call it, but a mental health worker in a long term care facility, that sounds like really, really hard work. Do you feel like that made you a better social worker? Absolutely, 100%. So I mean, there was a lot of, you know, crisis intervention. And one of the best things about it was, It was a long-term care facility for people who were basically mandated to treatment, Um, but they tried to take as best as they could, you know, a recovery model approach. And for me, that just sold me even more. I mean, to see people that are in such difficult times in their lives and don't really have a say, you know, most of their rights, these were all people that were under LPS conservatorship. Um, and you know, a lot of their rights had been taken away. So to still try to, to view that and, and find empowerment and find recovery in that, um, I just, I learned so much from that and, um, you know, then went on to be a psychiatric social worker there after I finished my master's and, um, it was, yeah, it's definitely difficult work, but it's, it's also so rewarding. And I, I've just learned so much being, being in that setting. And then it allowed me, you know, opened a lot of doors for me. Yeah. So what is the recovery model if someone's not really familiar with that? Can you just like explain quickly what it is? 
Yeah. So the recovery model is basically, it was actually developed by consumers in the field of mental health for other consumers of mental health services. And it's basically the, the basic idea is that clients should be the ones driving their services. They should be involved. Um, the social worker or whoever else is coming in, whatever other mental health expert that's coming in, shouldn't be the people that are kind of dictating the terms of treatment. That should come from the client. And the goal is then to, it's not about what I think recovery looks like. It's about what the what recovery to the client means. So what are their goals? How do they want to achieve them? And seeing then how I can kind of help guide them to get to where they want to go. Um, and I, I just think it's it's a really powerful, it's really about a lot, of, you know, about empowerment, about not focusing on someone's diagnosis, but focusing on the strengths that they bring. And just so many things that align with what social work is about. So Yes, yes, that's awesome. Did you ever find that clients were kind of thrown off by the recovery model? Like they they wanted you to tell them what to do? Absolutely. I think that's probably one of the hardest things, especially in, you know, long-term care settings where people have so much experience in, you know, mental health settings, and they're used to just being told what to do, told what medication to take, told, you know, that this is how it's going to look. And all of a sudden you have someone coming in asking, but what do you want? And that definitely sometimes throws people for a loop. Um, and I think also, it, you know, it takes time. It takes time to develop that relationship and, and let them know that you are authentic and, and really wanting to know what they want to do and what their goals look like. Um, but I think if you give it time, then, then it does work. I'm a, I'm a really big believer in that. Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember I haven't worked with severely with people who have severe mental illness before, but I remember in our grad school, because we went to grad school together at Cal State Long Beach, and part of, oh my gosh, it must have been part of a class. We went and toured an agency that I believe was practicing recovery model, and it was difficult to find who was a client and who was a clinician because the clients had the same... I don't want to say the same power, but the, there was no offices and it was just exactly. a community room where the clinicians, they had a computer, but the clients could sit, sit at the desk too and they could walk around too. They used the same bathrooms. They ate in the yeah. same dining room and it yeah. was very a, a very interesting model. Yeah, I mean, that that is exactly that's recovery and action where there is none of this kind of power over idea. And, you know, I think for for some people, it's, it's just a really wonderful thing. I think for others, it takes time to get adjusted to that. And I think also, sadly, in, in the world we live in, I just don't think it's always realistic in every single setting. Um, and I can talk about that a little bit because of what I see here. I'm, so I'm in Austria right now mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, the models here are, are just very, very different. And, um, I, you know, sometimes have to try and, and bring that recovery side in. That's just kind of in me from, from my earlier practice. And, um, I don't know if it's always so well received, <laughs> but I think that's also part of our work as social workers is to sometimes bring in that other perspective that, um, isn't always around. Yes. So in our previous conversation, you mentioned that over in Austria, it's very psychodynamic theory, like Freudian um, theory. So can you talk a little bit about the between doing the recovery model and doing and working with colleagues who are very Freudian? And how was that transition that sounds like from one extreme to the other? 
you know, it, I, I don't think I was prepared for that. <laughs> I don't think I'm still prepared for that. Um, you know, I, I was just trained differently. And I, I think, you you know, you know, in, in grad school now, things are taught a little bit differently. Of course, you know, Freudian analysis is, is taught and talked about in grad school. And we learn all of these different theories. But to see people here really still so focused on that. And, and that's, you know, really, I, I would say one of the main, um, you know, therapy techniques that are used here and therapy schools that are followed here and seeing that in practice in an acute so I'm also working in a psychiatric setting right now and I'm I'm on an acute unit and also in a partial hospitalization program and um, just seeing how they apply that there and seeing how they analyze and discuss cases through you know a Freudian perspective um, and how they they analyze psychosis through that and sometimes it's it's a little bit uncomfortable I'm not gonna lie um yeah. So, and, is, um, <laughs> so for people who also aren't maybe as familiar with Freudian analysis, like how, how does that differ? Cause I feel almost like, um, like the recovery model and strength space is just in my culture, in myself. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fascinating to me to hear different perspectives. So how would, how is that different over there? Um, so there's a lot, you know, of, of really focusing on on developing and talking about what happened in in the childhood um, couch, like right, like if you think of traditional what we learn, you know, in school, people laying on the couch and dream analysis, all of those things are still practiced. So at least that's how I, you know, I see it here in Austria. Are they really lay and on the couch? And they really lay on the couch. <laughs> and the idea behind that is that the therapist. Um, the, the client should not see the therapist's face at all, and they shouldn't be able to see and read any type of emotion from the therapist, um, because then that can impact negatively then the therapeutic intervention. So that's the idea behind that. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the idea is more about really developing and seeing what happened in the childhood, seeing what kind of negative things happened. And I, I don't want to be stereotypical, but also it's kind of talking about why it's the mom's fault a little bit, you know, what what was wrong in the childhood, um, even when there wasn't necessarily trauma or things like that involved, per se. Um, so it, it's just a little bit different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not every therapist here uses that technique. There are people that also use, you know, more humanistic theories, or, you know, systems theories. Um, it's just something that I, I hadn't encountered before in my work in the mental health field in Los Angeles, where I was living before. And all of a sudden to come here and, and see that in practice and talk about, you know, dream analysis and things was, was a little bit foreign to me. So for people like me who are, have these fantasies of international social work <laughs> and like going to another culture and diving deep and just, you know, helping people, what, from your perspective, like what are things that you, that you have learned and, um, and things that you that maybe threw you off a little bit or like tips for people who might be considering moving to another country and practicing social work in another country yeah so um I should also I think I forgot to say I am working as a social worker right now but I am working in German (laughs) and before I moved to Austria I did not speak any German at all oh wow so um 
Yeah. So, you know, the first thing I would recommend is, is making sure that the language is something that you have a hold of. Um, for some people who grew up, you know, bilingual, trilingual, that might come easier. You know, I unfortunately grew up speaking only English. So I didn't have that as an advantage. And I really just took time the first year and a half here to focus just on the language because it's so important, especially in our field, to not only be able to speak the language and understand because it's, you know, a competence and ethics kind of thing. You need to make sure that you're understanding and, and being able to accurately assess the situation with, with a client. But, you know, there's also these these cultural things that are a little bit different and these um these different ways and phrases and, and things like that. So learning the culture, I would say, is probably also equally important um, wherever somebody's going to go, because, of course, it's going to differ from, you know, American culture or wherever someone else is from. And I think just giving yourself the time to do that, if you have the time and planning that in to your move is something I would recommend and something that really helped me. Mm-hmm. Smart. Okay. So you mentioned that you spent about a year and a half getting used to the language and the culture. Do you feel like that was a good amount of time? Like, would you recommend that to someone if they're new to a specific culture? Um, I don't think you'll ever be ready completely. But I think as far as being able to truly get an idea of what life looks like and understanding, and then, you know, being able to take that and, and trust yourself enough to say, okay, I can do this. I think a year and a half is okay. Everyone's learning curve is going to look differently. Um, but that time frame worked for me. And again, I was really, really focused and determined. I, I had I was so scared that I would never be able to practice social work if I didn't master the German language. So for me, I just was so set on that. And that was really my goal. And it meant, you know, at home, my husband, who was Austrian, only speaking German, for example, and it meant, you know, spending a lot of time studying the language and, and watching TV or hearing podcasts that were not in English. So um, I think I, I can't, you know, overstate that, that that piece of the language and, and the culture is just really important. Um, and ever, ever again, for everyone, that's going to look different. So I think everyone should also just go at their own pace. Yeah. <laughs> and when they feel like it's time, even maybe a little bit before you feel like it's time, because like I said, I don't know if you'll ever feel completely ready when you're completely starting in a new language and culture. Mm-hmm. I love that because it helps to put in perspective that something that you hop on an airplane and go to another country and get a job and do right. It takes a lot of planning, a lot of investment, a lot of time to do that. So um, yeah, that's really, really great. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is that every single country, I mean, even I'm, you know, I'm in Austria and Austria is a German speaking country. Germany is a German speaking country. Switzerland, there are parts that speak German. And despite that, the laws regarding, for example, regulation of the social work field look completely different. So I recommend, especially anywhere you go, doing research regarding the laws and, and how your diploma can be recognized in that country and all of the things you need to do, because that part of it is also something that takes some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's a whole nother piece of it. You know, what are the requirements to do therapy where you're going? Are they going to honor your social work degree? Are you going to take more classes? Um, and I imagine all of those things could be another investment too. 
Absolutely. I think that's also not to, you know, not to forget is these things, especially when you think about the fact that if you're planning to move, but you don't know the language yet, it's not an English speaking country, for example, for people that speak English, that costs money. You know, I did have to visit German courses and, and those, you know, I wasn't working and those definitely cost. So I think just kind of thinking about that and factoring in um, it is also really important. Definitely, definitely. I'm just over here taking notes. So, so far, what I have is if you're considering international social work, um, find a way to become fluent in the language. Um, we need this to be competent and ethical social workers. And I think even to uphold integrity, too, of, Absolutely. of our roles, um, become culturally competent in, in wherever you're going. And then research the laws around the therapy and social work degrees and how to practice in any additional training or courses that you might need to take. And then factor in the time and the cost for all of these things. Yeah. So, I mean, I can give you a concrete example, you know, talking about therapy. The field of social work here in Austria has no, um, no law that governs the field. And the field that, that they're called psychotherapist here or psychotherapeut or therapeuten. And um, there is a law that governs that and it's completely separate from social work. So sometimes you can get certain classes accredited and they'll say, okay, good. Um, you may not have to do the whole thing. But if I want to do formal therapy here and be on the therapist list, because there's a list, I have to probably do about another seven years of, uh, of training. Wow. And they only have, I think it's 18 or 20 therapeutic methods that are recognized. And you have to pick one formal school and stick with that. So, I mean, that's completely different to how we do it, for example, in the U.S. And, um, you know, I can do things as a social worker, like offering, you know, certain types of services. But that therapy piece, I cannot formally practice here yet as a, as a therapist. Oh, interesting. So, I mean, that was a little bit of, you know, that was hard <laughs> because this is something that, you know, I was going through my licensing process when before I left the U.S. as well. And then all of a sudden to not be able to do and practice the same way, that was really difficult at first when I actually, after I had gotten the job and was working here um, and to recognize that, that was really hard. So I think that's another thing to recognize is sometimes you may not be able to do the things that you were necessarily trained to do. And um you know, you may have to do more training on top of that. Yeah. So ultimately have realistic expectations of, of what you're getting yourself into. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So right now you are a, um, a you're in a, in a, an acute psychiatric setting. Is that right? Yes. So I divide my time. I'm on the acute unit. I'm in a hospital working on the acute psychiatric unit. And then I'm also part-time in the partial hospitalization program. Um, and I'm also a lecturer at the local university here. So I do um, lectures for English for social work, which works perfectly for me <laughs> um, for first year students. And then I'm also teaching clinical social work. Oh my gosh, Regina, you're so busy. I, I needed it after the year and I, you know, almost two years of not working. I was like ready to just go. <laughs> I needed to be busy again. Yes. Yes. Those are all 
really high stress environments. Well, I don't know about being a professor so much high stress, but being in a psychiatric setting, a lot of times I hear from people that it's very high stress. They, they have trouble not bringing the work home with them. How do you not get burnt out or how do you, you know, keep that balance between work and life? You know, I, I think that's actually something that the Austrian people do really well. And I've seen that in my work here. When I was working in the US, I felt like I always was just, I could never turn off. Even when I was somewhere else, I was becoming to visit. He's my husband now, but my, my then, you know, boyfriend, fiance, um, I would be in Austria and I would have, you know, I would be texting my coworkers still in the US because I was still just so nervous. And I always felt like I had to be involved in something and could never just completely shut off. But they're really good about dividing that time here. And when I leave the office, I really leave the office. And um, I think that's also just something that everyone should learn as, as much as possible to do if it's realistic in your field. Sometimes we have, you know, um, we're on call and that just doesn't work. But if you can, really turning off. And, and when I leave, I really just shut off that part of it. I have to. I have to compartmentalize because if not, that's how you get burned out, like you said. So for me, that looks like leaving my, my work phone at work when I leave, um, which is definitely part of the culture here. Um, and, and then focusing on things, you know, that bring me joy, talking to my family, talking to my friends at home. I think that's another thing to not forget when someone's moving. It sounds really fun and really glamorous living in a new country, but it's hard. It's hard to not always be around people that speak your language, especially when you're first learning the language. It's hard to, um, not be able to do the things you were initially trained to do in, for example. And there are days that, you know, it's, it's extra hard, I think, being an international social worker. So I think sometimes those self-care things really then take priorities. So, you know, exercise, for example, or just spending time with my husband, remembering why I moved to Austria in the first place. You yes. Know, that's kind of what keeps me grounded. Uh, yes. Yes. That's so important. And I feel like you touched on being away from your friends and family. And I think that the loneliness part is something that people forget about because it's real. I mean, you're, you're in a completely different culture. You're away from everything that's comfortable, everything that you know. And if you're not, you know, luckily you have your husband there to support you and love you, but if someone's just up and leaving by themselves with minimal support system, you know, it, it sounds like you'd be very high risk for, for loneliness and, um, and being homesick. Absolutely. You know, and, and I think there's something to recognize, you know, I don't know when people are thinking about international social work, you hope that maybe first you have a job. Um, I didn't move for my job. I moved for my husband, <laughs> but um, if you're moving for your job too, I think the other thing that I, didn't think about it. Every culture also works differently. And in the US, my coworkers were also some of my closest friends. That, and I just really valued that. And here it's a little bit different. The people really try to leave their work at work. And that means your work colleagues are more often than not your work colleagues and your friends are people outside of that. So they really try to, you know, to differentiate that. And when I first started, that was also very new to mm, me. Yes. So it sounds like their boundaries are <laughs> super good, <laughs> like super on point. Yeah, actually, yeah, that's that's a very strength-based way of looking <laughs> at it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
That's true. They have very good boundaries. Okay. Like that. <laughs> now I'm all about the strengths based perspective. You give me anything, I will twist it into a strength. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great skill to have. <laughs> That's awesome. So you gave us some really, really amazing insights and some tips. Is there anything else that you feel it's important for someone to know before they start, you know, looking into international social work or, or even move over there? Um, you know, I do want to say something related to the expectations regarding payment. Because I think that's important and something that we don't talk enough about often in the social work field is about paying and being being paid fairly. Um, but also recognizing that overseas that might look differently than what we're used to in the U.S. Believe it or not, although I feel like sometimes we as social workers in the U.S. don't feel like we're always paid enough. In other countries, that's sometimes even worse. Again, because of the lack of professionalization of the field, it's, it's just newer and um, I think just being aware of that as well is something to consider before people move. Uh, and, and also related to, for example, the European Union, there are specific laws that favor um, people who are European citizens as opposed to their country nationals. And so it's going to be very difficult without a previous, um, you know, previously being allowed to work here to to start and enter the job market so again just i really can't emphasize enough checking the laws of the country where you want to go seeing how that works out seeing what the payment looks like and how that relates to you know the, the social work field because you can have a master's you can have you know your license but if you move someplace else and and you all of a sudden you know that's not recognized anymore um then you're going to be looking at a lower pay scale and you have to see if that's in the end worth it for you that makes sense and also to take into consideration the salary that you would be looking at getting paid and then how much is housing and living and, you know, transportation and all of those things. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Regina. Where can people find you or get in contact with you? Um. Gosh, I, I have a LinkedIn, so they can contact me on there. Um, Regina Scheidel is my name, S-C-H-E-I-T-E-L, the last name, the spelling. Um, or you can always also write me an email, also the same, Regina Scheidel at gmail.com. And I'm available for questions, specifically if people have them related to social work in Austria or the German-speaking countries. Great. Thank so. you so much, Regina. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Catherine. Have a great rest you of your day. Too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for hanging out with me on Social Workers Rise. If you are looking to add another stream of income while making massive impact on the world, then I highly recommend creating your own online course. I personally use Kajabi and highly recommend it. They make it super easy to turn what you know into what you do. Click the link in the show notes to get started today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, write a review and give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcast. This just helps other people just like you 
find us and join our community. Also, I would love to connect with you on Instagram. You can find me at Social Workers Rise. I can't wait to see you next week. Bye.